Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of the Ecom Show. And today I'm here with Molly Pittman, and she's the CEO of Smart Marketer, but you can also know her from the Perpetual Traffic Podcast with over 5 million downloads. And today we will talk about her story and also paid advertising. Just a quick, uh, a quick story time. So uh, back in uh, 2012, she left her uh, bartending job in Kentucky, US, and she became an intern, a digital marketer. Since then, she left that company and uh, she started the podcast, but also different business ventures that we will discuss today. So I'm uh, happy to have you here, Molly. How are you? Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. What's up, everybody? I'm great. Happy to be back. I just had a two-week vacation, and this is like the first thing that I'm doing coming back, and I feel very zen. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so I, I feel rested and, and happy to be back into to business. Amazing. And uh, where did you go for vacation? I went to Italy. So okay. I went with my family. It was my grandmother's 80th birthday, and I oh, also wow. got engaged. So it was a really oh. exciting trip. Congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I was surprised. <laughs> Good surprise. Yeah, that's a great surprise. So let's talk about your story. Um, you left this bartending job uh, more than 10 years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. So what happened since then? Yeah, it's funny. I, I kind of forget that I was a bartender sometimes. or Not that I forget, but... When you bring it up, it's like, wow, a lot has happened the last right. 10 years. So, uh, yeah, I left Kentucky. I knew that I wanted to move somewhere else. So I moved to Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. That's where I found the internship with the Digital Marketer. They hired 12 interns at one time. And they said, hey, guys, you're going to work with us for three months. We're going to teach you as much as we can about online business because at the time they were running, you know, eight to 10 online businesses in one room. It was crazy and, and really exciting. Okay. Uh, obviously, these were the, the earlier days. <laughs> and they said, after this, these few months, we are going to pick a few of you to hire full time. So it was almost like a game and I love games and I'm very competitive. Uh, and what's funny, I didn't even own a computer at the time. I mean, I knew marketing, I'd studied marketing, but I hadn't applied it really to, to the internet. And so I got to learn a lot during those few months. I was lucky enough to be hired full time. Uh, that's when I got into media buying and Facebook ads specifically. I realized, oh, this is something I'm very interested in. Um, at the time, my boss, Ryan Dice, gave me his Amex and he said, hey, go spend, I think he said $2,000 and bring me back more money than you spent. And at the time, that was pretty scary. It was like, ah, can I do this? 
And, you know, everything really took off from there. And I kept learning. I started teaching. That's when we started the podcast, Perpetual Traffic, that I'm not a host of any longer, but it's still a great show. Um, And I became the VP of marketing. So I started leading a marketing team, which allowed me to see things more big picture, not Mm -hmm. just the media buying, but every other aspect of what goes into this. And it was an incredible experience. And I had that moment that a lot of us had when we realized, okay, I have to be my own boss. I need that freedom. It's time. And so I left the company and started freelancing, started my my own business. And it's been about five years ago. So a lot's happened in that time. I moved to Colorado. I lived in Amsterdam for a bit. Um, I've now partnered with Ezra Firestone. We have Smart Marketer, which is an information business, but also an agency. And recently I moved back to my hometown in Kentucky and I started a dog rescue. So that's a lot of how I spend my time now to balance out this internet world is saving dogs uh, from dog shelters and, and finding them homes. So yeah, that, that's me trying to fit 10 years into five minutes, but it's been really exciting. And I'm, I'm so grateful I've met just amazing people along the way. And I think that's the most important part of all of this. Yeah, I think this is a great time to interview you because it sounds like you went the full circle. So yeah. you started from Kentucky 10 years ago and now you just moved back, right? And exactly. In many countries, many different places. Um, just a uh, side question. So you mentioned this uh, very competitive hiring process, mm-hmm. uh, a digital marketer. Do you agree with this? This is something you also <laughs> use or, or it's too cruel? Uh, no. And, and I didn't find it cruel. It was exciting because the worst case was, okay, I got to learn for three months, make some money and I can move on with my life. So I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I would replicate it at that volume, but we do in the agency to some degree. So we are always hiring people in junior positions. Everybody has a 90 day probation period. And, you know, we need to make sure it's a good fit within that time frame. So I, I'm, I don't think I would hire 12 people and say, go at it. You know? <laughs> I think that's a little tough to do virtually too, uh, because we were in person, but I do take a lot of those same principles and, and apply it now. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Personally, I never use this uh, in my company because I thought it's a bit too much, you know, but uh, I will think about it. That's interesting. Well, and it attracts it attracts people that are hungry, right? That mm-hmm. is yeah. the true benefit of that or someone that you know is going to go the extra mile, which is really hard to interview for. Yeah, yeah, that's right, actually. Uh, you will see that only in practice. Um so after spending uh, so much time and, and money as well in ad- paid advertising, um, what would you say, what are the top, let's say, five traits of, uh, of a very like, top, top talent in uh, PPC? In ads? Ooh, great. I think we're spending over 200K a day right now, which is not the most, right? But it's definitely not not a, a small chunk of change. And you know what's interesting is 
I actually see a lot of similarities between people that are spending millions of dollars a month and people that are spending small budgets. Um, and I think it comes down to a few things. One is curiosity. So to be good, whether it's PPC, media buying, or just digital marketing in general, you have to be curious. If you aren't, you're out of the loop, right? And curiosity shows up in a few ways. Uh, most and, and foremost, you have to be curious about the market that you're serving. You know, it's very rare that you're going to be targeting an audience of people that you are the avatar and that you know everything about. So you have to be curious in researching, observing, really getting into the mind of that person. Um, I find that if people aren't curious, they just don't make great media buyers because they're out of touch. Um, you also have to be curious about the industry in general. I mean, I'm you know preaching to the choir here, but things change every day. This stuff is hard. If you aren't into it, it's not going to work. So curiosity is what I'm looking for first and foremost. Uh, second would be empathy, which is kind of similar, but more of someone's emotional side. Mm -hmm. So I will hire someone that is more emotional and empathetic all day, every day over someone that is more data or, or logic based. Yeah. Not that is wrong. I want both, <laughs> but that can be, that can be taught, right? That can be, um, that can be supplemented with tools or help. Your emotional side cannot. And that shows in every part of marketing, whether it's offer creation, writing copy, writing creative. I mean, that's so important. So I'm looking for empathy. Can that person put themselves in the shoes of the other human? Do they truly care? And what's also important with us at Smart Marketer is the way that we market. You know, we take full responsibility for the fact that we are probably showing ads to millions, maybe billions of people every year. Who, who knows, right? That there's a lot of people that are seeing the marketing that we put out into the world. And it's our responsibility to make sure that our marketing makes people feel good, that it's not making people feel broken. And I want to ensure that the person has a value set that really aligns with how we like to look at the world and, and doing good, doing the right thing. And then Thirdly, th this is hard. I'm, I'm trying to put it into three because really I probably have, have five. <laughs> but third is this person is resilient. So again, you know that this stuff is tough. I mean, even me doing this over 10 years now, most of what I do out of the gate doesn't work. So you have to have that ability to say, okay, what did I learn from this quote unquote failure and what do I need to do moving forward? Uh, I find that people that are scared to fail or those that struggle with failure, they just don't last long because, you know, they're so emotionally affected by the work that they aren't really able to continue. So that's why I do find that athletes or people that work in the service industry, like bartenders, they tend to do really well because they're used to falling down and getting back up, or they're used to dealing with tough situations and moving forward. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And uh, back to empathy. So I think that's something that uh, even AI cannot uh, automate, and yeah. uh, I don't expect it will. Um, we tried ChatGPT, different tools for 
sales and, and marketing as well, writing emails, SMS, text messages. And uh, I think it's still not there when it comes to empathy. No, I mean, it's a tool, right? It's exactly what you said. It's a tool. It's not a replacement. We just ran a cool test for an email promotion that we were doing. And we mm -hmm. had our copywriter write a set of emails. And then we um, used uh, the AI tool to write a set of emails. Our copywriter outperformed the AI double in terms of revenue. And again, it just goes oh, back man. to what you said. So, um, you know, it, it, nothing can replace soul. Yeah. I think you just, uh, I, I saw that article. It was an article on Smart Marketer, right? I, I read yes. it a few days yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You compared the two, and we did the same in uh, January, December, February. We ran those tests, and uh, sometimes it was a tie, but in most cases, the copywriter perf performed better. Yeah, um, and of course, it depends on the copywriter. Like, I will say, Ruben, yeah. our copywriter is incredible. He grew up on a commune with Ezra, right? He is very <laughs> emotional and empathetic, so... Um, you know, we're very lucky, but I, I think it's, it's just the human soul, you know, AI is cool, but AI is a tool. AI is not a channel. It's not a business model. It's not a replacement for marketing. Um, it, it's a tool. Yeah. 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 I agree. Hey, Buddha Nation. Welcome to the Ecom show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic. So it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. So let's get a bit more technical. We have a few questions from our community. And, I love it. Hey, community. <laughs> cool. um, the first question is about funnels. So mm -hmm. what kind of funnels can you see uh, that work nowadays, especially in e-commerce? What's Ooh. what process? Okay, I'll just sort of go in my mode and rattle off what we're doing right now. Okay. Um, and I will. I do want to touch a little bit on information because I've, I know that we are at a crossroads right now where the businesses we are seeing have the most success are not e-com businesses. They're not information businesses. They are both. Like our biggest client right now uses information on the front end and then sells physical products on the back end. So I want you guys to start thinking in that way because I think that's the future, at least if you're looking for, for scale. I mean, this will be probably a $60 million brand this year. They just started it three years ago. And the key is simply that we use information on the front end. So I just want to make that that clear for everybody. But if I'm just looking at a pure e-com business, and let's say this is a business spending over five to $10,000 a day on Facebook ads, the, the funnel setup or the offer structure in that account usually looks like this. First, it's what we call butter chicken, which is just straight to the product page. Ezra named that. <laughs> so we're still doing that, right? Taking your best-selling products, running direct to product page. There will always be a time and place for that. We're also setting aside budget for lead gen, but we're doing cohort analysis every month to make sure that those leads are profitable, setting a lead cop, you know, uh, what is our cap there? You know, we're not just spending to spend, but that's important no matter your business. Building that email list, but making sure that you have follow-up there. 
Pre-sale articles are old school, but they still work, guys. This is where we're getting a lot of the scale for most of our e-com clients, especially a product that's what we call a product-centric business, where it's a product that can be sold to multiple avatars for different reasons. Pre-sale articles are a great way to frame that to that avatar. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of our biggest ways that we scale for clients is just writing and launching pre-sale articles. You know, Ezra's makeup brand, boom, we run the ads in that account. I think we're running 10 to 12 pre-sale articles right now, but they're all about different topics or different reasons that might lead someone to the product. Uh, but most people fail with pre-sale articles because they try to make them blog posts, right? <laughs> so our pre-sale articles, if you go to Boom by Cindy Joseph right now and look at our Facebook ad library, you can see all the pre-sale articles we're using. Most of them are five tips for makeup when you wear glasses, five tips for dealing with bags under your eyes, right? Here are five tips for transitioning from winter to spring makeup. <laughs> they all lead back to makeup, but they're all different topics. And they're all only a few sentences long within each of the tips. So pre-sale articles are still huge for us. We're still optimizing for conversion and purchase there. Um, and I would say at least 80% of our e-com clients are using pre-sale articles uh, when they're more in scale mode. Um, now with e-com, you know, pre-sell, lead gen, direct to product page, of course there's retargeting. Of course we're using shop ads, right? Especially if it's a brand, like we have a nail polish company and shop just crushes it for them because it's so easy to just go in and say, yes, I want, you know, these three bottles of nail polish check out. Those are really the main funnel styles that we're using when we're just looking at e-com. Now, when we start to layer in the info side, that's when things really get fun for us. So our biggest client that I was mentioning, surprisingly, their main front-end offer still is a free plus shipping book, which sounds really old school, but we're spending $30,000, $50,000 a day profitably on this dang book because there are great upsells, great cross-sells. So if you are in a place with an e-com business where you need to plan a flag and teach someone a concept that will then, you know, really get them excited to buy your products, going old school with something like a free plus shipping book, we're seeing that work really, really well. Um, on the info side, we still run free mini classes. Um, we'll do that for e-commerce too. So uh, one video, two video, three part video series to teach someone a topic to give value first. We're still using old school lead magnets. Like for smart marketer right now, our best lead magnets are two really simple lead magnets. One is a Facebook ad report. So it's all of our best ads from the last 12 months in a swipe file because mm -hmm. people love that. And then guess what our second best one is? All of our best emails <laughs> in a swipe file uh, for people to use. So we're still using those old school, you know, quick, downloadable, easy to consume, high value lead magnets that still let us generate, you know, $2 leads, which is pretty hard in, in 2023. So yeah, those are really the main funnels that come to mind right now. But I think that the biggest message for you all, even if you feel like 
I am purely e-com. This is what I do. The secret yeah. sauce is to start mixing information on the front end. Um, otherwise, it's only so scalable, right? There will only be so many people in this world that you say, hey, I've got this sparkling water. Do you want it? There are just only so many people that are in that mindset that, yes, I want to buy it right now. But when you start the conversation in a different way, when you present the information in a different way, now you are applicable to so many more people that you can still lead them down to, to purchase. So that's really how we're thinking right now. Amazing. Yeah. I just uh, wanted to ask, so what's the underlying psychological principle on this? Like, uh, because as you said, uh, so many guys, they limit themselves, they put them and their business into a box. Like I sell soda, I sell, uh, I don't know, water or something else instead of uh, educating and connecting with their audience. But uh, uh, why is it? I mean, uh, it's about co human connection or, or what, is, what is the key here? Uh, yeah, I think it's human connection. I think it's also where we are. I mean, humans see something crazy like over 5,000 ads a day. You yeah. know, we know there's a lot of stuff we can buy out in the world, right? That's not the issue. This is not 20 years ago where buying something on the internet is a novel idea. Yeah. So a lot of this is where we are in time. But a lot of it is just think about it, you know, back to the makeup brand. There are only so many people that we can say, hey, we have this makeup for women over 50. Do you want it? And they say yes. But when you start the conversation in a different way, Hey, can I tell you makeup tips to transition, you know, your, your makeup from winter to spring? Well, that doesn't feel like I'm being sold to. That speaks to something relevant in my life right now. That's maybe something that I hadn't thought of before. Oh, I should be transitioning my makeup based off of the season. Then they click over. You build a little bit of a relationship. They say, oh, what is this brand? What do they stand for? This is pretty cool oh, I might be interested in their product. So it's it's human psychology and it's also just understanding a market like we talked about. You know, there will only always be just that core part of your market of people that want to buy right now. It's why people ask me, Molly, or they'll say, my Google ads, you know, Google search is performing so much better than Facebook ads. I think I should just put all of my budget over there. And I just giggle to myself a little bit because I'm thinking... You're, the, the, those two, that's apples and oranges, right? Those are people going to search for that product. Facebook is a digital billboard of someone that's never heard of you before, right? Those are completely different. Those are people that are in two completely different states of mind. So think about your market in the same way. And these different offers we're building are built based off of where someone is in terms of that awareness or, or need. Because think about five makeup tips to go from winter to spring. There's not even a pain point there, Daniel. Like no one is even experiencing a pain point, right? It's just having a conversation about something that's going on in their life. That's the coldest, most unaware traffic that you could ever reach. And that's where true scale comes from in a brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also long-term thinking is required for that. And uh, actually, I think me as an email marketer, that's something that we implemented way before the ad, ad people, ad guys, because oh, yeah. uh, 
even five, six years ago, we sent out a lot of uh, trust building emails and, and reviews and, and more than promo emails. And many times they generated more revenue than promo emails. Isn't and that back, crazy? Then, <laughs> back then, five, six years ago, Facebook ads, you know, media buyers, they didn't think about it. And now they have to because that's how they can uh, be profitable. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of our pre-sale articles or lead magnets come from our best performing emails. So it's like, okay, this topic, people were really interested in it. Let's turn this into a front end offer. So exact same way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And uh, I'm happy to see this, uh, you know, this direction as an email marketer. Um, The next question here. So what is the AOV you are aiming for when you work with a client? Is there a minimum AOV? I think that's a very common question. Yeah, good question. I mean, it's so different for each client. We have a client that needs an AOV of like 150 bucks, but they sell a more expensive item and they sell something that really bundles well together. I would say that it's tough if you want to break even on the first sale it would be tough in today's economy to need an AOV less than 40 or 50 bucks if you want any bit of scalability. Just with where traffic costs are, with where consumers are right now. Um, So if I saw, like if someone applied for our agency and they said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for um, you know, my AOV is only $40 and I want to be profitable or break even on the first transaction, I would immediately know that that, that wasn't going to work. Right? Um, but it's hard because I'm sure there are people out there that have a 40 or $50 AOV and they're doing great. But these are just the businesses that I work with. Yeah. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, when they have this lower AOV, but they have a subscription model, that's Right. And, you know, that's the name of the game. That's why, you know, we only take on clients that we can be strategic with, which part of that is my business partner, John Grimshaw. He's an amazing data person. He calculates something called customer value velocity. We think lifetime value is kind of a crap metric because Mm -hmm. what is lifetime? It's like, okay, well, are we going to wait 80 years? I mean, really think about it, you know, (laughs) like that's, almost impossible to to calculate internet businesses haven't been around that long. So what we're looking at is every month, how much value on average is added to the customer um, that came from that cohort. So we're always looking at CVV. Mm-hmm. And so the smartest customers or sorry, the smartest uh, and, and fastest growing clients that we have are those that do know their numbers because we're helping them, right? (laughs) Like, let's take the uh, book funnel client that I was just chatting with you about. So they know, for example, that at day 90-ish is when they break even because we've got subscription, we got so much going on. So now we are willing to buy media to a CPA where we know that it's going to take 90 days to break even, but that's okay. And that's the difference between them, you know, today, maybe acquiring 3,000 new customers or 10,000 new customers. And then, you know, as the email marketer, which is the smarter play, right? If you're willing to take on a little bit of risk, because then when they want to run, when they run a promotion, it's a completely different ballgame. Now their customer base is 
three times as big as it would have been if they would have been looking to break even on the first transaction. But this is not something that we mandate to clients, right? We just say, here's your data. Here's what we would do, right? We all have different risk tolerance. Some of our clients are funded. Some of our clients are looking to gain market share. So they're willing to go on the hole for six months because they don't care about realizing the revenue right now. They just want the customers. Some of our clients need it, need profitability on the first transaction. All very different games that we're playing and it's, it's up to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, this RTV 90, RTV 180, these are very, these are crucial nowadays. And, yeah. uh, so, and fortunately now we can measure these with tools such as Triple Whale, uh, even smaller businesses, they can measure these. So they can see yes. when they become profitable. What was the term? Customer value velocity? Yeah. If you Google like smart marketer, customer value velocity, I'm sure on our blog and our podcast, John's talked a lot about it. It's just, it's different from life. It's the same concept as lifetime value, but it's more looking in a smaller time window and there is a different calculation. So that allows us to say, okay, a month has passed. What happened versus, okay, we need to wait six months. So it's just more of a immediate number that you can monitor. Yeah, yeah, you can scale faster. Exactly. Um, But that's really important, Daniel. This is that mindset is so important because, you know, students will go through our courses and they're like, well, what do you mean you're losing money on the first transaction? Why would I want to learn from you? And it's like, okay, we got a lot to learn here in terms of how to play this game because it's, you know, that's not what it's about for, for most of our clients. Yeah, when I hear that uh, potential client uh, or e-commerce business owner, they talk about trust all the time. I think that, okay, there is a long way to go here. Uh, yeah, of things exactly. To learn. Hey, one more thing that I forgot to mention earlier on the info side, we do have a client that is profitable on the first transaction. He's an info business. And he brought back sort of these lower dollar tripwire offers And most of our traffic goes directly to a sales page for a $27 info course. And it works so well. And then he upsells them, puts them into subscription. Uh, But this is something we're going to bring back at Smart Marketer um, and even in e-com businesses. It's just selling those lower dollar info courses on the front end. If it solves a pain point, it it can do really well. Okay. So you can see this trend coming back, the lower info products yes yeah. um so my next question about is it's about creatives so what is your creative testing process now how do you come up with new creatives and and how often yeah good question so it depends on the volume of a cl- of the client so in terms of how much they spend um but we have created a process based off of their tier level how many new creatives we are making for them every month. Um, Some of them it's five, some of them it's 20, depending on the volume of the account. But it's really cool. We have a creative director named Ben Bennett who grew up in my hometown. He self-taught, you know, marketing. And he started working with us last year and he's created the coolest system because he's actually leveraging AI also. 
So what he's doing, the size of the account uh, helps dictate how many creatives are made, but also which types of creatives are made. So we have the first tier of creative is essentially taking something that's already working. So say you have a video that's talking about why is your dog eating grass? Let me educate you about that and then sell you this supplement. So we, we would call that the grass hook, right? We know that's working. We know when we talk about why is your dog eating grass, that works. So the first tier of creative that he's going to have made and he might use AI to come up with some ideas, or he might just use our swipe file of all the different creative formulas that we use. He'll take the grass hook and say, okay, what are four or five other creative styles we can make using this same hook? And you can get a lot of scale from saying the same thing in a different way, right? <laughs> People forget that. They think they've got to go create this whole new thing. And it's like, no, sometimes you just need to take that same hook and think about other ways to, to portray it. Maybe we need to go with a still image that's a cartoon. Maybe we need to try UGC of a woman talking about her dog eating grass. Maybe we need to try a comparison video. You know, we just go back to all of the different creative formulas we have. Then tier two, which are a lot less frequent, but can be more impactful, are those brand new hooks, right? Like this is a completely different concept than mm -hmm. we've ever used before. So anyways, depending on the size of the account, that dictates the number of creatives. And it also dictates how many tier one or tier two creatives are created every month. But I will tell you guys, the name of the game with creative testing is not volume, right? People think that media buying is like test, 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 new creative, new creative. A lot of times it's not that. And if you are really a true media buyer at scale, you know that you can only test so many creatives at one time anyways, right? <laughs> Without jeopardizing everything else that you're doing. Yeah. So for us, it's way less of a quantity, way more of a quality. Um, and a lot of it's how do we do more with what's already working? Yeah, it's very interesting because I can see the same with email SMS marketing as well. So, of course, with smaller businesses, we need to do more things, more flows, all of that. But once they become more like seven, eight figure and beyond then actually we have to simplify things yes. and uh, that's how you can actually save resources for the company because uh, many times this happens that they have a very smart marketing manager who creates i don't know 25 different email flows and actually we cut half of them because they don't generate money or or at least we tweak them make them more simple so efficiency comes into play really finding the 80 20 and uh, it sounds like same with the ads yeah. And even, you know, ads manager is its own beast, right? This is an algorithm going on inside of, of this machine, right? So a lot of people want to go in and, oh, I'm going to test a hundred creatives. And it's like, that's not even how this machine was built. Like in 2015, you could do that. Nowadays, I mean, anybody that's launched a Facebook campaign, the first question they come to me with is, Molly, all of the ads aren't getting the same reach. This isn't a true test. And I'm like, nothing in Facebook advertising is a true test, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's, uh, that's a whole learning curve on its own.
yeah, yeah. So I have only one more question to you, and I have to ask this as a podcaster. So over 5 million downloads for uh, perpetual traffic, and uh, what's, what's the key? Uh, oh, goodness. Okay, so yeah, my podcasting journey has been fun. That, that show, I think we started in 2014, and so it was one of the first, I think it was, yeah, it was one of the first shows out there about paid advertising, so timing was huge. We launched with three hosts, which was really fun. Myself, Ralph Burns, Keith Krantz. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun with the show. I think people, and, and it's a still a great show. I'm actually going to be a guest um, on the show again in a few weeks, which I'm excited about. But there was a lot of magic happening at that time that really just allowed that to, to rocket. Um we did launch the Smart Marketer podcast a couple years ago, and it's also done really well. And I, I basically took the same concept of who are, I mean, it's marketing. Who are we serving? Right? What do they want to hear? Like for the Smart Marketer podcast, I knew that we were launching in a time where there were so many marketing podcasts. Yeah. So how do we set ourselves apart? And with our show, we have a lot of what we call not business. So we do uh, tactical and technical episodes, but a lot of what we talk about is being a business owner and how that Mm -hmm. feels and lifestyle and everything outside of business. I think that is what makes that show really successful. Um, There's a lot to it. Uh, Obviously, how you launch is the most important part, right? Because that's really what gets you out there. And I've always launched podcasts with contest and it allowed both perpetual traffic and smart marketer to hit number one in every category that we were in. And that just gives you so much momentum out of the gate. Then you're getting all of the organic reach, right? People will tell me, Molly, are you running ads for the smart marketer podcast? No, I'm not. Oh, well, I was listening to Gary V's podcast and then you popped up next and I heard your voice and I was so confused. You know? <laughs> and a lot of that is just, just rankings and getting out there. So the best way to launch a podcast is to a warm audience, if you have one, with some sort of contest. When we launched the Smart Marketer podcast, we put together a consulting package. So the winner would get free consulting with me and Ezra. They got access to all of our products. Like it was insane value. I think like $30,000 or something. So people really wanted that. And I think they were excited about the show. So in the first week or two, we had so many reviews and downloads that you know, it was telling the podcasting platforms, this show is good, <laughs> show, show it to more people. Um, so I, I think that's key and, and consistency. Podcasting can be tough to keep up with, <laughs> but it's so, so important. Um, yeah, and just make it something people want to listen to. I know that sounds like common sense, but podcasting is not something that just by doing it, you're going to get the results, right? It's got to be something people actually want to listen to. Yeah, and uh, talking about Gary Vee, I know he's huge on patience, but that's not enough, right? And uh, and putting into the work, I mean, that's a big part of it, but that's not enough. So you need these tactical elements that you mentioned. And actually, I also have a lot to learn, even after 200 episodes. Um, it's not It's not easy, and you have to, had the right tactics, strategy in place. 
Yes. And, and run ads, you know, that is one of the best ways to get the podcast out there and something we're going to do more of, but we run Facebook ads for some of our podcast episodes. Obviously we email them out to our subscribers, the team that does our podcast editing, Jesse and Darren Clark. Darren also does all of HubSpot's podcast. He also did perpetual traffic. He's incredible. He's really good at the media buying side of things too. So you can buy media on these platforms to promote your podcast. So that's another route too, guys. And obviously getting on other people's shows. But the, the biggest thing I would say about a podcast, don't, don't expect it to be necessarily a sales channel, right? This is a relationship building activity. And people will come to me, Daniel, and they're like, I'm not making money from my podcast. So I'm like, well, you're probably not, if you're looking at it that way, it, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> but you know, people will come back to us years later. Some of our best clients now that have probably paid us, I mean, or will pay us millions of dollars. I started by listening to you on perpetual traffic in 2014. Well, I think I made my money back on that. <laughs> but it's not something that I'm going to track in triple whale, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, we have many guests in our podcast who became clients. Uh, just yesterday, uh, it's not a secret, uh, we had a leather brand in the podcast and uh, a Canadian guy, a great guy, and... Uh, you know, now we are discussing things, how his email marketing could be improved. So we never made it a secret. Um, many times our guests, they can see the value in what we do and uh, they become clients. So um, exactly. yeah. but that's not the primary purpose, just as you said, it's a networking platform. Yeah. yeah. So Molly, thanks a lot for sharing your story and uh, sharing these, you know, very insightful tips today. Thanks to everyone who uh, who is who was watching the live stream on LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, with my sparkling water? <laughs> here, water, but uh, stay hydrated. So everyone, stay hydrated and uh, and stay tuned as well. Every week we come out with a new episode. And uh, if anyone wants to work with you, where they should go. Oh, smartmarketer.com. You can check out our podcast, our blog, our courses. We teach live mentorships twice a year on paid ads and email. Um, and of course, we have the agency too. So I look forward to hearing from you guys. And Daniel, I'll be seeing you at an event live in like a month. So that'll be pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we will meet uh, next month. So I'm pretty excited. And uh, thanks again, everyone. And uh, have a great day. Bye, y'all.